As Dave said, our scripture reading this morning uh, comes from the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 5. If you want to follow along in the Red Pew Bible, it's page number 978. And we're going to start verse 1 and 2 and then jump down to verse 15. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jumping down to 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence. For Christ, the very Word of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, amen. Amen. Thank you, Myron. While we have been studying together, what does it mean to have our souls transformed? And we were talking earlier in a Discovering Christian Community class just about how once you become aware of an idea, um, you see it everywhere. Um, I remember when, when I first uh, got a hankering for uh, Jeeps, and uh, I, for whatever reason, I got car fever. You guys ever go there? And um, all of a sudden, I saw Jeeps everywhere, right? And then, and then my tastes matured, just checking. <laughs> and I, I started lusting after Mustangs, and I saw Mustangs everywhere. I think that happens in our Christian walk as well, that we become aware of an idea that God is doing something in our life, and then we start to see it everywhere. It was always there. There were always Jeeps and Mustangs on the road. I just didn't see them. I didn't have eyes for them. And, and as we become attuned that God has a sovereign purpose for us, and he's actually shaping us and molding us into his image, then, then we start to see that everywhere. We've been talking the last five or six weeks about the soul shaping, this thing that God is doing in us. And, and we've been both talking about it in terms of, of the responsibility that we have to shape other people's souls, but primarily in the sense that God is shaping ours and he's using other people to do that. But over the last couple of weeks especially, we've been, we've been talking about our children and how critical it is. Our primary discipleship is, is, is with our children and and. And the mechanism which God has set apart is the family for this primary discipleship. And, and so we saw how, how important it is to teach our children and to train them and, and to put it on our doorposts of our houses and, and to dedicate ourselves to the transformation of our children's souls. We saw how important it is to, to, um, to discipline them, to hold the line, to love them enough to set boundaries and Last week, an amazing, amazing time, we saw how, how critical it is to 
to um, let to not interfere with what God is doing in our children's lives, to let the natural consequences of their actions happen, but be ever ready, be ever ready to forgive and to welcome back when when they come to their senses, when when our prodigal children, when we as prodigals come to our senses, to welcome them back. I want to I want to camp one more time. On, on children for a second here and just tell you right off the bat what my fundamental premise is for today. And that is uh, that the greatest way to, to love your children, and, and, and I, I say this with fear and trepidation because I fall so short of this, but the scripture is very clear. The best way to love your children is to receive and love your spouse. Let me say that again. The best way to love your children is to receive and love their spouse. I'm I'm choosing my words very carefully. You can tell. And I'll try and explain them together for you. But fathers, the best way to love your children is to receive this precious gift of of your wife. And and mothers, the best way to love your, your children is to receive this precious gift of God in your husband. Receiving your spouse means more than just accepting him or her. It means to embrace the God-given gift that he or she is. The God-given gift of your spouse. Now I'm thinking, how, how do you express this idea of reception? And, and the other day, as I was lamenting the fact that my precious colts were being tromped on by my sworn enemies... Um, that, that there was actually a model in that story of how to receive. Let's see if we can do it. Um, um, I just received this from a Patriot fan, by the way. And um, interestingly enough, interesting, just saying, just saying, okay. But the announcer was actually, I'm, I'm teasing, of course. I was brokenhearted. <laughs> I'm teasing, but I'm really serious. Okay, I was brokenhearted. How many balls did the Colts drop in that Patriot game? Those of you, forgive us if you're not a football fan, but they, I mean, it was hitting them right on the money, and they were dropping the ball. And I'm really tempted to interpret that, but I won't go there. Um, uh, and so the announcer actually gave a little primer on how to receive the ball. It went something like this. He said, look for the very tip of the ball which requires focus and concentration. So focus and concentrate on the ball, right? Look the ball. All, all the football fans in the room are going, yes. Look the ball all the way into your hands, right? What are we prone to do as football receivers? We're prone to start running before the ball is in our hands, right? And it bounces off. He says, look the ball all the way into your hands until it is firmly grasped. Right? And then quickly, because the new strategy in defense is to get an arm up in here, right? Quickly do what? Tuck the ball in the crook of your arm, right? And look at it until it's firmly tucked in there. But when it's like this, and you work out with weights all week long, it's very hard to get that ball out, right? It's very hard to get that out. Finally, finally look up, then look up, and start running toward the goal. Right, together with all your teammates, run toward the goal. It doesn't matter now if you get pounded, which you often will, right? Because nothing can separate that ball 
from your arms, the most important step was receiving the ball. Now, in the parable of soils, Jesus told a story, and everybody said, "Mm, good story, right? I'm not talking about footballs, am I? Am I? Talking about your spouse. Talking about your spouse. Look. Look at them. Focus and concentrate on them. And look them all the way into your hands, right? Look them all the way into your hands. And and once they're in your hands, once God gives them to you, then securely and safely tuck them away. Look them all the way into your arms and hold on tightly. The only thing that matters at this point is that you hold on to them tightly, right? And then look up. Then look up and together head toward the goal. I'm, I'm having fun with you to a certain extent. You're thinking, I don't know if I can throw it to you, but I'll try that. Not too bad. Okay. Okay. Um, the, the point of this is that how many times do we lose at the game because we don't do the very first step, which is receiving this precious gift of God to us? Obviously, the Bible's not talking about football, but the Bible does help us set our priorities so that God might be glorified in every aspect of our lives. Let me just say, the first three chapters of Ephesians are dedicated to the first priority of your life. The first three chapters of Ephesians are dedicated to your understanding and your experience of God. And nothing is more important than that. Nothing is more important than that. It's summarized at a prayer at the end of that. Are you still in Ephesians? If you're not, turn back there with me for a second. Um, It's summarized at a prayer. Again, Ephesians breaks neatly in the first three chapters and the second three chapters. So summarized in the first three chapters, Paul prays this prayer. For this reason, he says, uh, 3.14, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Just amazing prayers. I pray, oh God, help me get through the day. Paul prays that you'd be strengthened in your inner being. Why? Look at this. One, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Nothing more important and you're taking that step of faith. I know uh, our, our circumstances, our, our, our lives, our intellect, all those different things sometimes make it hard for us to do this. But the most important thing you could ever do is entrust your life by faith to Jesus Christ. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. But look at the second part here. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, and the height, and the depth, he's just rhapsodizing here, of what? To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We were talking last night with Christmas. Knowledge in the Bible is not intellectual assent. Knowledge in the Bible is experience. Is experience. To experience the love of Christ that surpasses experience. 
that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So that's, that's where we're going with this. And the whole first three chapters have all been dedicated to your coming to that experience of the love of God. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I just beg you, don't leave this place today with, without talking to me or to someone about how you can experience the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of God for you. But the bulk of our time today, what I'd like to do is, is to, to look at the balance of Ephesians now. Because what, what Paul's going to do is change gears in the beginning of chapter 4 and actually show us, in a sense, how we can prioritize our lives, how we can live in a way that honors and glorifies him. And this is where we picked it up uh, uh, earlier. I'm going to actually name a couple spaces for you. Just jump with me for a second. He says in 4.1, I urge you, a prisoner of the Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Walk as a beloved child of God. And jump over to verse 17. And there's a whole bunch of good stuff in between. I apologize for jumping all over the place with you. But verse 17 says, now, Paul says, Now I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as people who don't know God do, as Gentiles do and the futility of their minds. And he goes on to explain the kinds of things that are so present more than ever in our culture right now that are, are, are walking as the Gentiles do, those who don't know God, not as God wants us to walk. Later he says, put off your old self and put on your new self, created to be created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Then jump to 5.1 with me, our, our verse for today. Be imitators of God as his beloved children and, and now, he, now he cuts loose and tells us how to do this. Walk in love. And this love is not, is not self-love, eros. It's not even, though eros and storge are important, it's not even storge, familial love. It's not even phileo love. Walk in sacrificial love as Christ sacrificially loved us and gave himself up for us. You say, how do I do that? How do I walk in love? I think that he explains it to us in verses 15 through 21. Uh, Go over there with your eyes, but recognize real quick that, again, he's kind of summarizing different elements of our walk in love. He's talking about how we walk with Christ. That's an important element. He talks, look at, at, um, beginning in verse 21, he talks about how we walk with our spouse. He talks about how to love our spouses. And then down in chapter 6, he talks about our children. And then and in, beginning in, in chapter 6, verse 5, he talks about how we respond to our earthly masters. And I'm going to translate that away from, don't even picture American slavery, but against even bond servanthood. And, and, and substitute in there that idea of how do we respond to our employers, to those who are in authority over us, uh, to um, our governments. How do we respond to those kinds of things? Now, the question for you is, is, is he prioritizing here? I'm not sure, but that he isn't. And, and if you ever wondered, what, what, what is the relationship between my job and my children and my spouse and my relationship with the Lord, I think that he's actually giving you a schematic right here. He's saying the most important thing, and, and, and it's evidence all throughout Scripture, is your relationship 
with the living God through Jesus Christ. Amen? So, so Jesus would say it's slightly different. Seek first the kingdom of God, right? And all these things, your spouse and your children and your job will be added to it. I'll take care of those things, right? But I think that he's actually putting the other things in priority here too as well. And you are welcome to push back with me if you want on this. But one of the temptations that we have as, as parents is to let our children become the object uh, of our affections and our highest priority. It is so easy to do, is it not? It's so easy to do. We have a new puppy at my house, right? And the darn thing is the cutest little thing. And, and it's so easy to just, just pour all our affections on that puppy, right? Um, but we, and we do that with our children. Their children are so, when they're small, they're so receptive of, yeah, sorry. Ooh. We're going to have a fun lunchtime conversation, aren't we? Um, um, so receptive and open and so easy to love, which doesn't make a lot of sense because they cry and they poop and they do all these things, that, but, but our hearts are just drawn to them. It's so easy to let them be the center of our attention, our focus, when what they really need, because at 18, right, Lord willing, they're going to they're gonna be on their own they're going to grow up, and what they really need in those first 17 years is an example of how to live, of how to love, how to experience God and, and human relationships. And so, so I think that he's actually giving us a priority here. He's saying, and here's my premise again, that the most important thing you can do for your children is model for them what a loving mother and father relationship is, right? And an appropriate one. We saw that last week with the, with the actual parenting aspect with the prodigals. But, but, but I want to push you a little bit farther this week in saying, um, wow, God is inviting you to lead your children by loving your spouse. By receiving and loving your spouse. So I think that there is a priority here in this. Your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse, your children... And then your job. Now, do we get this right all the time? Especially, I want to talk to you men for a second. Do we get this right all the time? No, if you ask a typical man, who are you? What are they going to say? They're going to say, I am a ditch digger. I, they're going to describe what they do, right? Instead of who they're related to. No, it's interesting, for whatever reason, God tends to wire women, not every woman, but, but many women, what he tends, when you ask a woman, who are you, they tend to say, I'm the mother of so-and-so, or I'm the wife, or the grandmother. You see, they tend to identify themselves by relationship. I think that's why, in many cases, women get um, spiritual relationships more easily than we do as men. Um, but God is inviting us to, to, to see his priority for this and to recognize that, that with a simple adjustment in our priorities, we can actually bless all the other priorities. By the way, you know, what is the, bless, the greatest blessing you can give to your workplace to give a nice, stable, solid man or woman, right, who has their priorities in order, right? Uh, that, that, I would love to have that. I'm blessed as a, as a, a head of staff here to have those kinds of people on our team here, and any employer would love those things. So it makes sense. When you put God first, it's not hurting the other things, it's blessing them. When you put your spouse first, it's not hurting your job, it's helping your job, it's helping your children. When you put your children before your job, you're helping in the long term your profession 
as well. So I, I just want to suggest to you that the priority of relationships is important. But I want to suggest to you also that the pattern of the relationships is important as well to that. So to do that, we have to go deeper into this passage and say, I want to say especially for just husbands and wives right here, what is the pattern that, that uh, Paul gives us? I've lost my page, I'm sorry. That Paul gives us right here. We've, we've talked at length uh, about this passage together, but let me just summarize. If you're visiting with us or you're new to us here, let me just summarize and say probably that our Bibles got it wrong that um, because there was no divisions of, of sentences, there was no punctuation in the original manuscripts, uh, and, and my Bible divides uh, Ephesians 5 at 5.21 and 22. And one of the, uh, the clues for us that, that that probably isn't the way to do that is that there's no verb in 5.22. The, the original language says wives to husbands as to the Lord. Now, before some of you... Uh, tear yourself asunder from the relationships that you find there, oh, it's absolutely clear that, that wives are to submit to husbands. You never thought you'd hear me say that, did you? Um, that wives are to submit to husbands. Absolutely clear. But when there's no verb in a sentence, where do you get the verb? You get the verb from the previous sentence. It's still bearing its effect, right? What does the previous sentence say? The previous sentence says, submit to one another out of reverence, for Christ, And I've shared with you at length about how people long to be one, to have this mutual relationship. And, uh, and, and we are just blessed to have children in our midst. Don't ever be alarmed or uh, I'm excited that they are here. There's not a problem at all. But I do want to invite you to, to um, say, to see with me here, what people's hearts long for is unity, to be one. Isn't that your desire for your relationship with Stan? To be one, right? And, and three times in Scripture, uh, we refer back to Genesis where he says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, right? We're looking for one flesh. We're looking for one spirit, one heart and mind. And it's a mystery, uh, Paul gets all confused in this passage. He goes back and forth between, am I talking about Christ and the church? Am I talking about marital relationships? They're both a mystery, but one is the display of the other. So he says, so people long to, to have a mutual relationship, a, a relationship of mutual submission. And, and yet most of our world is not mutual. It's hierarchical, right? Most of our world says this person's the boss and that person is the, is the servant in that relationship. And so Paul gives us a secret to this kind of relationship right here in this verse. Out of reverence for Christ. You don't have to put your spouse above or below you because there's only one hierarchical relationship that matters. And that's that Christ is first. If you put Christ first, the other relationships will fall into place. If you put Christ first. And, and as we discovered together that, that he actually goes a step further. If you look at your spouse through the lens of the eyes of Christ. If you look at your spouse as Christ looks at them, it solves all your problems. You don't have to, you don't have to struggle 
for authority or for responsibility. You don't have to struggle for those things. If you look at them and how precious they are in God's sight and how God is, is greatly desiring that they would experience his love and learn to love as he loves set you free from all that other stuff. No, no. are you saying, Pastor Dave, that there's no, there's, there's no leadership or headship in homes? Not at all. Not at all. He's very clear on that. And I, I don't understand it other than to say that he tends to gift women with the ability to, um, to discern things spiritually. And, and so he does a unique thing and places spiritual initiative firmly on the shoulders of the husband. Says, guys, let's get it together. And he explains how to do that, right? How to take headship. He explains how to love and to serve. Here's my outline. Love, serve, and to submit to your spouse. Men, the struggle you're going to have is loving your wife in a way that she can receive. Am I making this up, men? No. Anybody else? Am I the only one struggling with that? Yes, you, yes, you are the only one. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I think you're saying I'm struggling there too. Um, <laughs> you had that look on his face. Whoa. Pretty tough, Pastor Dave. I hope it works out. Um, wow. Wow. Our struggle is going to be to love them. And, and I live this daily. I love Karen in the way that I want to love her, not the way that she needs to be loved. And Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, don't do that. Remember, study them, focus on them, look them all the way into your hands. Study them and love them in the way that they can receive. In summary, Paul looks at the, at the relationship between men and women and says, in mutual submission, the struggle you're going to have, men, is that you're not going to want to love your wives in the way that they can be loved. And it's going to take amazing sacrifice. Uh, several people... Huh, uh, Kayla referenced this last night. Uh, several people noticed if men just did this, there would be no problems with mutual submission. <laughs> there would be no problems with submission, right? Because we would want to submit to a person who loved us like Christ loved us. And, and men uh, look at, at the woman's part of Ephesians 5 where he says, and, and, and women, I want you to submit to your husbands and respect them. And men, men said, God, if you gave me a wife who respected me, I would have no problem at all in loving her. Everything comes back to this, this, these two focus, love and respect. Does that mean that, that men don't need love? No, not at all. Men desperately need love. Does that mean that women don't need respect? No, not at all. Women need to be respected. But Paul, in, in Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom, recognized that that would be the stumbling block for men and women in relationships, that that would be the stumbling block for for parents, it's much easier to focus and to love your children than it is to love and serve and submit to your spouse. It is, it is much harder, but oh my goodness, if you can do that, if you can model unity in the Holy Spirit, that the children never saw a seam where they could drive a wedge. You ever notice that? That children, if they find a seam between the, the mom and dad, they will, they will walk through there, right? They will drive a wedge through there. And what if they couldn't find a seam? What if we genuinely were one flesh? What if we were genuinely were one soul? What if we genuinely were one mind and spirit? 
then, then they would have amazing stability. They would find amazing security. They would be blessed. I feel really bad because Paul's discussion in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 is much broader than this. He sees submission not just as, as, as surrender, which it is, it's important, but also of submitting your very best to your spouse, right? When we were talking last evening, when you submit a, a project in school, you, you do your very best and you submit it to someone and hope that it blesses them, right? And, and the whole part that I skipped there in, in uh, Ephesians 4 was that, that you, God created you uniquely. You have amazing gifts and talents and abilities, and he invites you to bring your very best to this primary relationship of husband and wife, to bring your best there. And if you're able to do that, then, then your children will be blessed, your, your uh, co-workers will be blessed, your grandchildren, and a thousand generations, should the Lord, Lord Terry, will be blessed. I invite you to, to bring your giftedness to this primary relationship. I know that to the extent that we're able to do that, not only will your kids be blessed, but you will be blessed. And, and you will experience now what it means to be one flesh, one heart, one soul. So what is the key? What is the key to loving your children well? Loving their father, loving their mother. Submitting to them. And serving them. If we can do those things, beloved, gates of hell will not prevail against our families. The gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Pray with me, would you? Oh, God, thank you so much for your word. It's hard sometimes, God. It's hard to surrender ourselves to a sovereign over us. But, God, once we get to know you and and discover that you love us far more than we could ever imagine. God, once we begin to comprehend that, it makes it very easy. I'm asking you for the next step, God. I'm asking you to, to allow us to love one another so much, God. That we can surrender our rights like we surrendered our rights to you. That we can surrender our rights to our spouses. And that God, somehow through that surrender to that unity of heart and mind and soul and flesh. All generations would be blessed. God, I pray for those who right now are, are saying, I just can't do this. God, if you only knew my spouse, you would know that I can't do this. Well, God, I know that you do know our spouse. And it was not an accident that you put us together. It was not an accident that you allowed us to experience the trials and tribulations. God, you're helping us moment by moment and day by day lay aside and leave behind the last parts of our brokenness and of our sin. God, I pray for the marriages represented right here, from precious marriages that have endured the, the uh, decades of time. Uh, God, and are still uh, rock solid in, in love. To those that we haven't even in our midst, God, who are preparing for marriage, and I'm wondering on what basis will they, will they uh, build this new creation? To those who find themselves in the midst, God, of extreme trials, 
and are not sure even if, if, if they have the strength to go on. Oh, God, strengthen us from the inside out by your Holy Spirit. Help us walk, God, in the power of that Spirit so that nothing can separate us from your love. Yes, but nothing can separate us from the love of our spouse as well. And God, I just rejoice in, in the miracles you're going to do as moment by moment and day by day we grow in grace and knowledge of this amazing love. Father, I pray for the husbands right now. I pray for the wives. I just invite you, God, to grant us the courage to offer anew today our hearts to you. We confess that our hearts are callous, God. Through the trials and the tribulations, they've been scarred, and sometimes, sometimes they just don't feel anymore. Oh, God, receive our hearts again today, we ask in Jesus' name.